0: Pepperidge Farm Milano. you're really going to enjoy the way that she gets into these conversations that feel like two friends talking, and they are an absolute delight. So subscribe to The Women on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. In the late 18th century, Sarah Ponsonby and Lady Eleanor Butler, who became known as the Ladies of Van Goghlin, abandoned their life in the upper tiers of Irish society and made a home for themselves in Wales. And even though their entire plan with this had been to live alone in solitude, they became famous for doing so. Anna Seward and William Wordsworth both wrote poems about them and the cottage that they lived in. Byron sent them a copy of the Corsair with a personal note when that came out. Arthur Wellesley, the Duke of Wellington, paid them a visit and even stayed with them. And Queen Charlotte was enamored enough with them that she convinced the king to grant them a pension. Apparently, at one point, they were even offered a lock of Napoleon's hair, And this whole story, which in a lot of ways sounds kind of like a Regency romance novel, was completely outside the bounds of what was expected or allowable for women at the time. And up here at the front, I'm just going to issue a blanket apology for our poor pronunciation of Welsh.
0: (laughs) Yeah, uh, definitely not a language either of us has grown up speaking. It's a tricky one if you didn't grow up speaking it. Right.
1: Two L's and the two D's. Those are easy sounds if you've been making them your whole life. But if you are an English speaker, you start watching these tutorials. They're like, put your tongue behind your teeth and kind of exhale a little bit and then make that noise while you're saying words. And it's a
0: little difficult. It's tricky. So, Brace, we're going to do our best, but it's not going to be anywhere near perfect. Uh, But to start in, Eleanor Charlotte Butler, born 1739, was the youngest daughter of one of the most powerful and prominent families in Ireland. Her father was Walter Butler, the Earl of Ormond, and their family's home was Kilkenny Castle. The butler's family seat had been at Kilkenny Castle since the late 14th century.
1: I know sometimes uh, there are buildings that are described as castles that look sort of like a stone square. Mm -hmm. This is not one of those. It is a castle. A a legitimate castle. castle. (laughs) With four towers on it. Eleanor was a, Eleanor was quite a bit younger than her two attractive and accomplished older sisters, and the arrival of a younger brother also supplanted her as the baby of the family before she was even two years old. Consequently, Eleanor wound up being the most left out of all the butler siblings. Her two older sisters got a much more fashionable education than she did, They were sent to the convent of the Blue Nuns in Paris, while Eleanor went to an English Benedictine convent in Cambrai. When it came to the quality of education at the convent, Eleanor went to, I mean, it was a good enough education, but it was certainly no Paris. And it did not have the same prestigious reputation as where her sisters
0: went. At times, it seemed like Eleanor was literally forgotten, correspondences from aunts and cousins routinely mentioned and asked after her older sisters while saying nothing of her. Relatives remembered her sisters in their wills, but they passed over Eleanor entirely. And even though from a social standpoint, it was essentially mandatory for the Butler family to find suitable marriages for all of their daughters, they put way more effort into her sisters than into Eleanor. While Eleanor had had some suitors, none of them really worked out. So by the time
1: Eleanor was 29, she was the family spinster, and she just did not have much to occupy her time. That changed when she was introduced to Sarah
0: Ponsonby. Sarah, born in 1755, was from a family that was also quite prominent and well-off, although not nearly as big a deal as the butlers. But a series of tragedies left her both orphaned and destitute before she was out of her teens. Her father, Chambray Brabazon Ponsonby, was a member of Parliament, and he had been married once before marrying Sarah's mother. He and his first wife had a son and three daughters, but only one daughter survived infancy. This left him still in need of a male heir, so he married Sarah's mother, Louisa Lyons, in 1752. Sarah was born three years later in 1755, and Louisa died another three years after that.
1: Sarah's father married once again, this time to Mary Barker, who was an heiress and did indeed conceive the son that he was hoping to have. But Chambray died before that son was born, when Sarah was only seven. Then Sarah's stepmother remarried, but died herself when Sarah was only 13.
0: After this series of marriages and deaths, Sarah was left with no fortune of her own, in the care of a stepfather who didn't have much interest in a teenage girl he had acquired through his late wife's previous husband's prior marriage. So he sent her off to live with a cousin, Lady Elizabeth Founds, who was called Betty. And she lived with her husband, Baronet Sir William Founds, in Woodstock House, County Kilkenny.
1: Woodstock House no longer stands, but it was also very large and impressive, Sarah's introduction to Eleanor Butler came when the Foundses enrolled her in a boarding school run by a Miss Parks. The boarding school was much closer to Kilkenny Castle than it was to Woodstock House. So Lady Betty Founds wrote to Eleanor's mother, the Countess Armand, to ask that the Butlers keep an eye on Sarah. And this request wound up serving two purposes quite well. It offered Lady Betty some assurance that Sarah would make the right sorts of friends at school and be kept away from influences that might damage her prospects. And it offered Eleanor Butler something to do with her time.
0: Eleanor and Sarah became fast friends. And for the entire five years that Sarah was enrolled in the school, they were very close. Eleanor had a reputation for being way too educated for a woman, and they spent a lot of their time reading and then discussing what they had read.
1: The 16-year gap in their ages combined with Sarah's youth wouldn't have raised eyebrows at the time in the way that it probably would today. But what did raise some eyebrows was, was that they seemed to be so devoted to one another Close and intimate relationships were common, but the fact that Sarah and Eleanor seemed to turn to each other to the exclusion of anyone else was viewed with some suspicion.
0: It was probably during Sarah's school years that they began to talk about how nice it would be if they could retire somewhere together, to live quietly out in the country away from society. But when Sarah finished school, they were separated. Sarah returned to Woodstock House to live with the Founzes, while Eleanor continued to live at Kilkenny Castle, about 12 miles or roughly 19 kilometers away. And even though Lady Betty had asked the butlers to keep an eye on Sarah, the two families weren't particularly close. For the next five years, Sarah and Eleanor may have seen one another at social events that both families would have attended, but they really did not have much time together.
1: They started to have more contact with each other a few years later when Sarah was in her early 20s. Lady Betty Founds' health wasn't very good, and it had become obvious that Sir William Founds was planning to take Sarah as a wife once Lady Betty died.
0: Sarah had so many problems with this. She did not want to marry Sir William. She thought he was repulsive, and she found his attention to her to be gross and inappropriate. And even though Lady Betty had urged her to be kind and accommodating to Sir William, Sarah didn't think she meant that accommodating. So Sarah felt stuck. She didn't want to encourage Sir William, but she also didn't want to hurt Lady Betty. In a letter to a friend, Lucy Goddard, she wrote, "'I would rather die than wound Lady Betty's heart.'"
1: In these same years, Eleanor was almost equally unhappy. By this point, her brother Robert had converted to Protestantism, and the family had long been Catholic, but following some changes to the law, Catholics were being stripped of their titles. So Robert's conversion was a matter of necessity to try to hold on to the earldom, and that title would be in jeopardy at various other points in Eleanor's life for various reasons.
0: At the same time, Eleanor's family was getting tired of supporting their spinster daughter. They were talking about sending her to a convent, which would simultaneously give the family a cheaper way to keep her fed and sheltered, and it would also maybe get them right with God. Her parents probably also thought she might be happy at a convent. After all, she'd been happy enough at the convent in Cambrai, where she was educated
1: But Eleanor did not want to go to a convent, especially not to please the family who had always been kind of indifferent to her, and particularly since part of the motivation was the religion of her brother, who she had always blamed for her being so overlooked at
0: home. So Sarah did not want to marry her gross guardian when his wife, who she was very fond of, died. And Eleanor did not want to join a convent to make things financially easier on her family or assuage their religious guilt. So the two of them decided that they would do something about it. And we're going to talk about that after we first pause for a little sponsor break.
1: Hey, Holly, we have some exciting news.
0: this teen chapel so it's going to be a fantastic trip
1: you can get the whole list of places that we are going and information about booking at defineddestinations.com scroll down to the Roman Florence trip with stuffy missed in history class or come over to our social media we have posts about it there too <laughs>
0: you're really going to enjoy the way that she gets into these conversations that feel like two friends talking, and they are an absolute delight. So subscribe to The Women on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Both unhappy with their situations and their future prospects, Sarah Ponsonby and Lady Eleanor Butler started writing each other secret correspondence around 1776. To do this, they would have needed help probably from someone in the household staff to basically secret their letters in and out of the house. They wrote back and forth, bemoaning their circumstances and trying to plan an escape for at least
0: 18 months. Then on March 30th, 1778, they made their first attempt to run away. That might seem like an odd choice of words to describe grown women who were 23 and 39 at the time, but both women were at this point really considered to be under the control of their parents and guardians. They were expected to do as they were told, marry and have children to continue the family line. And if that for some reason absolutely could not happen, to go to a convent. Even though they were, at least in numeric terms, adults, the fact that they were leaving home alone without their parents' or guardians' permission or knowledge was scandalous, particularly given Eleanor's family's prominence.
1: Eleanor snuck out of Kilkenny Castle that night, changed into men's clothes once she was out, and took a horse from the stables, and she rode it to a barn where she and Sarah had arranged to meet. No one at the castle noticed her absence for at least a couple of hours. Meanwhile, Sarah climbed out the window at Woodstock House, dressed as a man and armed with a pistol, and she took her dog, Frisk, with her and proceeded the rest of the way on foot.
0: I love a window escape with a puppy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, From their rendezvous point, they planned to go to Waterford and take a packet ship. It was a boat that carried mail across St. George's Channel to Wales. This plan did not work out, though. Either they missed the boat, or the one they had planned on didn't set sail. The weather was bad, and there were rumors of pirates in the channel, so it really could have been either. Their
1: families, though, had started a search as soon as they realized that the young women were gone. The Founzes and the Butlers alike worried that they had run away with men. Yet they were simultaneously kind of puzzled, because they couldn't think of any men that would be candidates (laughs) for this.
0: After a few hours, some of Sir William Founds' men tracked Eleanor and Sarah down, not far from Waterford, and sent word back to their respective families. Lady Betty took a coach to retrieve them, intending to bring both Sarah and Eleanor back to Woodstock House. But before they'd left the dock, a friend of the Butler family arrived and insisted that Eleanor be sent back with him. Over both women's serious objections, they were sent back home separately.
1: This left their families to puzzle out what had happened and, ideally, how to keep it from happening again. An elopement, which at the time just meant running away and didn't necessarily have a romantic or marriage subtext, was a huge topic for gossip and scandal. Letters quickly circulated among both families' social circles, full of details and speculation. It was typical for mail to be delivered several times a day, so even Lucy Goddard... He was the subject of a lot of letters from a lot of people in this story. Uh, Even Lucy Goddard, who was away in Dublin, had heard about it within a day or two.
0: It was in this flurry of letters that people started describing Eleanor and Sarah as having a romantic friendship. Like elopement, romantic had a different connotation at this point, and it was one that wasn't altogether positive. When it came to friendships, romantic often meant eccentric, whimsical, imaginative, or in some way not really something the people talking about it understood. So their, quote, romantic friendship was viewed with some suspicion, but not nearly as much as if they had run away with men, which would have ruined their reputation and that of their families.
1: For a couple of weeks after the attempted elopement, both Eleanor and Sarah were miserable. Sarah had caught a cold, which came along with a fever and a sore throat, and on top of being sick, she was increasingly worried and agitated about Eleanor. Eleanor's parents had sent her to stay with friends at Boris' house, which wasn't that much farther away, but it kept her out from underfoot, while they made preparations to send her to a convent in France, and also tried to bribe her into going along with it by promising to double her allowance. Sarah became even
0: more distressed when she heard the news that Eleanor's departure might be imminent. The butlers announced that their decision that Eleanor would be sent to a French convent, whether she liked it or not, was final on April 16, 1778. Both Eleanor and Sarah asked to be allowed to meet one last time, just for half an hour, to say goodbye. And that wish was ultimately granted.
1: But this was not really a goodbye visit. They agreed that they would make one more attempt to try to be together. Eleanor would run away again. This time, she would go to Woodstock House, and she did exactly that on April 18th. Mary Carol, who was Lady Betty's housemaid, snuck her in through a window and then <laughs> kept, t- kept taking care of her by smuggling her food from the kitchen.
0: There's a lot of uh, window entry and exit, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which always makes for a good story. Uh, They managed to keep Eleanor's presence at Woodstock House secret for a little while, but soon one of Sir William's men told him that he'd learned where Eleanor was hiding and that it was, in fact, in his own house. Sir William began writing letters to the butlers asking them to come and collect their daughter, but those letters went unanswered. He also started trying to convince Sarah to give up her attachment and let Eleanor go to the convent as planned. Sarah professed that she would live and die with Miss Butler.
1: That is a quote in her own words. Finally, the butlers essentially gave up, agreeing to let Eleanor do what she wanted. She and Sarah had, at that point, been ready to leave for Wales for days, down to Sarah putting on her riding habit every morning just in case. When they went, they took Mary Carol with them. They went to Waterford to
0: sail on the packet ship, as they had already planned to do back in March. After being delayed at Waterford for four days due to a combination of bad weather and pirates in the channel, again, they left for Wales on Friday, May 9th, 1778.
1: We will talk about their life in Wales after another quick sponsor break.
2: Hi everybody, my name is Max Homa. And I'm Shane Bacon, and we want to tell you about our new podcast called Get a Grip" with Max Homa and Shane Bacon. I'm a PGA Tour champion and a guy that has dreamed his whole life to be on the largest stage, compete in the biggest events, and have a chance at making history in a sport that has been a bit of a roller coaster for me as a professional. I know the only reason you chase this dream of being a pro is you could one day become a crossover media darling. You too could be a co-host of a podcast. And that dream is now a reality Max and I will take you through life on the PGA Tour, and our goal is to allow you in as we both pay our respective rents and bills from this silly sport that we can't help but love. So do us a favor. Download and subscribe to Get a Grip with Max Homa and Shane Bacon. It's our opportunity to bring to life the conversations we are already having, the rants and tangents we will tackle, and the best and worst parts of being a professional golfer. Way more best parts, bro. Listen and follow Get a Grip with Max Homan and Shane Bacon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: After arriving in Wales, Sarah Ponsonby and Eleanor Butler spent a few weeks traveling around, essentially touring the country. This wasn't really something they could afford, and because they'd spent some time being tourists, they wound up needing to hurry to find a place that they could actually live before winter. Also, as they were doing this, Sir William Bounds died. It was of a seizure or maybe a stroke that followed about 10 days of serious illness. Then Lady Betty Founds died three weeks after that. Since they were traveling, Sarah and Eleanor only heard of it much later.
0: Sarah had an income of about 80 pounds a year, and Eleanor had maybe 200 pounds a year. They also both occasionally got small sums of money from other sources. And this would have been enough to live on if they'd lived frugally. But that was not a skill that either of them had ever learned. Plus, at multiple points, each of them was convinced, often with good reason, that they were going to receive more money from a range of inheritances, annuities, and pensions. More often than not, those expected funds fell through. As a result, the pair always struggled with money, and they were almost always living outside their means.
1: They did, however, find a five-room cottage they were able to rent. It was in Thangothlin, where they'd started their tour of Wales on the River Dee. It was a very simple stone house, and they named it Plas Neweth, which just means new place or new home. They moved in in 1780, and one of their major projects for the rest of their lives would be making it beautiful.
0: They had four servants, a gardener, a footman, a kitchen maid, and Mary Carroll, who was the housekeeper. All of them but Mary were paid. It's a little unclear why Mary, unlike the other employees, did not receive a salary. She was allowed to keep tips from people who visited them, and that number of people did grow over the years. Uh, And when she died, she left all her money to Sarah,
1: so even though they weren't paying her, she apparently did have enough of an income to be able to save it up and buy property. Uh, it's, I wish I could find more
0: detail about that, but I could not. <laughs> the nebulous finances of Mary Carol.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and she was incredibly devoted to both of them. It's uh, I feel like there's a whole other story there, and at this point in time, probably impossible to get the details of it. So... Sarah and Eleanor had been hoping for solitude when they decided to retire away together. And at first, Fungothan was even more lonesome than they had hoped. There was barely a town there. Both women had a lot more education and had come from a higher rank than most of the people around them, but they did gradually begin to make friends. By 1782, people were describing their little home in the surrounding garden as very romantic, and at that point, That was a term starting to shed some of the negative associations that had previously been used to describe their relationship.
0: Eleanor's father died in 1783, and she was not mentioned in the will. There was a huge and bitter back and forth with her brother that secured her 200 pounds a year and a lump sum of 500 pounds to pay off debts. There would be a similar situation when her mother died and she was left 100 pounds but wrote to her sister to ask for more, which her sister turned down. Typically, their letters to ask for money came off as accusatory and backhanded, which might be why they were so often turned down.
1: Yeah, they often started out with a tone of, you have always been terrible to me. (laughs) Can I have some money, though? (laughs) May I have
0: some cash?
1: (laughs) As the years progressed, Eleanor and Sarah continued to read and study extensively. They learned multiple languages. They compiled enormous lists of books that they had read together. They also walked a lot. Even though they didn't have a lot of money, they tried to help people around them who were less fortunate, setting a goal of giving away 10% of their income to charity every year.
0: And they put a lot of work into Plas Nguyen adding Gothic embellishments, expanding, and making one of the rooms a suitable guest room, which they named the State Apartment. At one point, oak carvings came into fashion, and they went wild collecting them. They and the gardener also constantly improved the garden and the grounds.
1: Their monograms contained both of their initials, and they signed all of their letters jointly. Their journals chronicle all the mundane details of their life together and also express a deep and tender love for each other. For example, in one entry, Eleanor, writing about one of her very frequent migraines, said, quote, Rose at eight after a tedious night spent in coughing and with a most dreadful headache. My dearest, my kindest love did not sleep even for one moment the entire night, but lay beside me watching and lamenting my illness and soothing by her tenderness the distressing pain of my head.
0: Simultaneously, there was so much gossip about them back in Ireland as well as elsewhere. People speculated extensively about what they were doing and what had led them to throw off all of their family obligations and the incomes that would have come along with them to live in a remote part of Wales. Uh, as a side note, the idea that they dressed as men persists today, but that really came around after they lived. And it was mostly because they had short hair and they wore hats, both of which were following a French fashion and they were not t- so that they would look like men.
1: Yeah, if you see, there are a few engra- engravings of them and in some of them they're wearing their clothing. They have the short cropped hair, which you see other portraits of women in the same time who have short cropped hair and a sort of top hat looking hat on. And if you start just at the top and stop at the shoulders, you might think that's a kind of masculine appearance, but then below that is a dress.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, that was definitely going on in France.
1: Yes. They, they, and uh, also they, they did not spend a ton of money on their wardrobes. So This gossip about them even made the papers. In 1790, the General Evening Post published an article about them called Extraordinary Female Affection. And even though some of the information in the article was actually accurate, not all of it was. And it was heavily threaded through with an undertone that their relationship was unnatural, that they were lesbians, even though that term hadn't taken on that connotation yet. That same undertone of being, quote, unnatural would even be present in Eleanor's obituary when it ran in The Gentleman's Magazine.
0: In spite of this suspicion, as we noted at the top of the show, the two women became famous, more or less, for simply being who they were. Their home was on the way from London to Ireland, and it became something of a tourist attraction— they eventually got a lot of visitors, to the point that Eleanor would write things like, quote, when will we be truly alone in her journal? And their names and manner of living were well known even among people who did not personally visit. They were basically famous in the Regency.
1: They found a little bit more financial stability when they were able to buy Plas Neueth in 1819. Their ability to do this is often credited to Mary Carroll, who died in 1809 and, as we said earlier, left all of her money to Sarah. That was actually less one shilling for each of her siblings, provided that they came from Ireland to collect it. It's almost certain, though, that they got money from somewhere else as well, but it's a little unclear as to exactly where.
0: Later in her life, Eleanor developed cataracts and an eye inflammation, and she eventually lost her sight. She died on June 2nd, 1829. She and Sarah had become such a fixture in Thlangothan that the whole community went into mourning. Word also began to spread about a number of supernatural happenings attributed to her passing. One of the local farmer's cows had all black calves. A stray dog that arrived at their home on the day of the funeral started howling inconsolably when Sarah tried to give one of Eleanor's books away.
1: Because so much of their lives together had been spent reading and learning and walking and general, generally being pretty solitary apart from receiving so many visitors, a lot of Sarah's day-to-day routine stayed pretty much the same after Eleanor's death, except that she no longer had Eleanor to share it with. She didn't live very much longer, though. She died on December
0: 9, 1831. Six months after their deaths, Place Neuath was sold and their belongings were auctioned off. The proceeds were enough to pay their debts and set up annuities for their surviving household staff. Today, Plas Neweth is a museum that is open seasonally.
1: I thought we would end their story, which I find to be lovely. (laughs) It's kind of a heavenly idea. Let's live out in the country together and read books and walk around.
0: All right. (laughs)
1: Uh, maybe not for holly not holly's
0: flavor it would not be i need um i need a lot more takeout options than that would offer
1: (laughs) frankly well but but you would have a staff of
0: four people who would be cooking for you i need more than the country life offers in terms of um stimulation okay yeah i'm a city mouse
1: (laughs) i love to walk so much that as long as i can walk i'm pretty happy about it uh, but anyway, I thought we would end by reading Wordsworth's sonnet. A stream to mingle with your favorite D along the vale of meditation flows. So styled by those fierce Britons pleased to see in nature's face the expression of repose. Or haply there some pious hermit chose to live and die. The peace of heaven his aim to whom the wild-sequestered region owes at this late day its sanctifying name. Glen Kafakarok in the Cambrian tongue, In ours the veil of friendship, let this spot be named, where, faithful to a low-roofed cot on divas banks, ye have abode so long, sisters in love, a love allowed to climb, even on this earth, above the reach of time." I find those ladies to be very dear.
0: It's a very charming little story.
1: Well, and I stumbled upon it completely by accident. I was, I was looking into a completely different topic, uh, which was Radcliffe Hall, who we may still talk about sometime later. Um, and in this cycle of, of pulling together resources on Radcliffe Hall, I fell down this rabbit hole about the origin of the term Boston marriage, which is a basically term for two women who decided to make their lives together without the company of men. Uh, and a number of people point to these two ladies as like maybe the first Boston marriage. I don't know if I would go that far. And it's also unclear when exactly the term Boston marriage was coined. Um, but then I said, you know what I think I want to talk about <laughs> instead of Radcliffe Hall right now? It's these two uh, ladies. These two,
0: these two ladies. I love them. Sarah and Eleanor. Out in the country. Uh, Do you have listener mail for us? I do.
1: Uh, This listener mail... This listener mail is from Susie. And Susie wrote after our podcast that was the six impossible episodes on soldiers, snipers, and spies. Uh, And Susie says, I was interested to hear your most recent episode regarding six impossible soldiers. In particular, your mention of Vivian Bullwinkle. I came from a very small town in South Australia, and we are all well-versed in the story of the Viner Brook, as one of the nurses killed was a local woman, Elaine Balfour Ogilvie. I take my information from the Australian War Memorial site. Sister Elaine Balfour Ogilvie was born in 1912 in Renmark, South Australia, a town located on the River Murray. The family was well known in the district and her father was highly respected for his war service. After school, Elaine trained as a nurse. In 1940, she enlisted in the Australian Army, becoming the district's first army nurse. She was soon appointed to the fourth casualty clearing station of the Australian Army Nursing Service and in February 1941, embarked on the Queen Mary for Singapore. She worked in various places in the Malay Peninsula along with the 9th Field Ambulance before being based with the 4th CCS in Lampai, South Johor. After the fall of Singapore, Elaine was one of the 65 Australian nurses who left aboard the Viner Brook. After its bombing by the Japanese, Elaine swum to safety on Banga Island. Being from a river town, she was a strong swimmer. Elaine was among the 22 Australian nurses who remained on the beach to tend the wounded. After their discovery by the Japanese who ordered them into the ocean and ocean before opening fire on them, uh, Elaine Ogilvie was one of the 21 nurses killed. She was 30 years old. The children's section of the local library is named after Elaine and a beautiful photo of her hangs on the wall there. Having just commemorated our Anzac Day, a particular emphasis was placed on Elaine's story. In particular, it was discussed at length at my daughter's school. So a new generation of children are now aware of her sacrifice Thank you for bringing her story via Nurse Brollwinkle to light. We tend to think that nothing much of note happens here in the country, but your story shows that everyone has a story to tell. I could hear the emotion in your voice as you spoke. It was a very touching, and I had a lump in my throat as well. Keep up the good work, Susie. Thank you so much, Susie. I never would have heard of this particular woman without getting your note. Yeah, very cool. Uh, so, if you would like to write to us about this or any other podcast, we're at History Podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. We're also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash mist in History and on Twitter at Myst History. Our Tumblr is at Myst and we're on Pinterest at Pinterest.com slash Missed in History. You can come to our parent company's website, which is HowStuffWorks.com to learn about just about anything your heart desires. Or you can come to our website, which is mistinhistory.com, where you will find an archive of every episode ever, show notes of the episodes Holly and I have worked on together, lots of other cool stuff. You can do all of that and a whole lot more at HowStuffWorks.com or Mistinhistory.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
0: richest, most powerful place on Earth.
2: A fiction podcast. Tuman Bay. Bay. On an epic scale. Power is everything. Power gives everything.
0: We have to get away from this place.
2: Tuman Bay is our destiny. Now on the iHeart Podcast Network, Tuman Bay. Be sharp and die for Tuman Bay! Listen to all episodes of Tuman Bay Seasons 1 and 2 now for free on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm Shane Bacon, and I want to tell you about a new podcast called Get a Grip with Max Homan, Shane Bacon. One guy that has probably hit a 350-yard drive considers himself an athlete mostly because of his unreal pop shot abilities and has, in fact, started to show off signs of a tricep forming, is our own Max Homa, PGA Tour winner and fan favorite online. Max and myself turn out new episodes every week to give the fan a unique look at golf and all that comes with it from someone that spends his work weeks on tracks we all dream to play, grind it and out with the best in the world. Listen and follow, get a grip with Max Homa and Shane Bacon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts right now.